Moses. Hilarious. Awesome. All right, you guys. We are going to be in the last chapter of 2 Samuel today. What? But we're not going to finish 2 Samuel. Because there's some other weird things that happen with 2 Samuel. That it's not all written in chronological order. And so to get all the pieces, we got to pull it all together. It's like we were at dinner last night and a friend of ours was telling this story. And most of the people in the room hadn't heard like this story and that story, but I had. And I was like, oh, tell them about the, you know, tell them about the KGB when the KGB was chasing you out of the country. And then everybody else hasn't heard that story. And he's like, oh, I'll, that, this is that same story. I'll tell that. So then everybody else hears the KGB chased him out of the country in the wrong order, right? So now, whatever else he says, whatever other stories he tells, nobody's listening until he says KGB. And then they're all like, wah, right? That's kind of like how 2 Samuel plays out. So we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to talk about some events that happened. So remember, David was king, he was in Hebron, and everybody came and they were like, yes, be our king, you're awesome. And they made him king, and then he was like, okay, look, there is this impenetrable city in the middle of our whole country that's full of a whole bunch of people that aren't Israelites. And I want, I want to be, I want my kingdom, I want that to be where I am king from. And so they took the city of the Jebusites. First time it's been taken, Joshua couldn't even take it. Like it's that far back. It's been impenetrable. And David took it, renamed it Jerusalem. And it's the Jerusalem we know today. That's important. You gotta, so David is now king in Jerusalem over all of Israel. And he's not in Hebron, even though he was king in Hebron for seven years. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. Because <laughs> remember... The last time they saw David, he was on their side. <laughs> they had killed King Saul. They had killed the son of Saul. They had this just glorious victory, killed all kinds of Israelites. And David was on their side but stayed home because they didn't want him in this particular battle. So they win and they come back and David's gone. And they don't know where he is. And they don't. As far as we know, they didn't hear anything about him or from him, anything, for about seven years. And then, when they heard that he had been anointed king over Israel, not king over Hebron, right? Remember, he was king over Hebron and just the lower section for a few years. They all went out to search for him. They're like, David is still alive. He was the bodyguard of the king of the Philistines at one point. Because he was such a, I mean, he was just like Michael Jordan. I mean, he was just a prodigy of a man. Just incredible, but warrior. Okay? Fighting. Killing the bad guys. Whichever 
side the bad guys were on that day. So they go out to look at it, look for him. David heard of it and he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hands? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David goes down to the stronghold. And there's archaeologists and biblical commentators, and they all argue about which stronghold is the stronghold. And I don't think it matters for what we're talking about today. But it probably wasn't Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is impenetrable. Like it is a city way up on a peak. It's got valleys on both sides. It defends itself just by the nature of where it is. But the Philistines have spread out all over this valley. And it's important that they've spread out. Like they've not, they have not mustered their troops in a place in a valley. They have spread out. And if you look at where this is on a map, it's kind of like if traffic was backed up from St. Joe to Burkhart. Oh, I know. You remember when uh, President Trump came to Evansville, how they just shut down the whole city. And it was like, if you wanted to get from the east side to the west side, you had to go by way of Washington, Indiana. It was like, just forget about it. You could not get anywhere. Cindy was on the north. It was like 41 and the Lloyd became this center of a sector. And if you were in one sector, you couldn't get to the other sector. And Cindy was up here and we lived down here. And it was like, it was a big mess. That's what these Philistines are like. They have spread out in this valley, which has put them between Jerusalem and all of these other tribes, all of these other sections of Israel. And so David goes down to Hebron. And by going down to Hebron, he is going down into the thick of where they are. He is now kind of, when all the traffic is all a mess, he's gotten out of his car and he's walked out into the intersection. And so he goes down into this and they're spread out all around. And we have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. What? All right. So 2 Samuel chapter 23, spoiler alert is all recapping how great it was before David died. It's the end of his life, and they're talking about the glory days. And one of the glory days they talk about is this event, when he became king in Jerusalem, and the Philistines heard about it, and they all came, and they spread all out in this valley. So to give us a little context, we're going to start at uh, chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Ho, oh, oh. ho. This is one of my favorite. This whole deal is one of my favorite things. He had these mighty men. One of them was named Joshebashehezebeth. Yes, that was his name. I think he went by Josh for short. He was a, oh, it doesn't get any better. He was a Tachimenonite which is a variety of Mennonite. No, it isn't. That's a joke, too. 
He was chief of the three. Okay, so this is where we get this mention. He was chief of the three. The three? Capital T, capital T, the three. He wielded his spear against 800 men whom he killed at one time. Dude, Josh, Josheb Bashahabeth, the Tachamenomonite, is a bad dude. Okay? Next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohi. Do not make fun of his name. I'll warn you right now. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Okay, so the ESV is just lame sometimes in its translation. His hand held on to his sword. I would hope that his hand held on to his sword, right, if he's fighting a battle. If you have the NIV, it'll say his hand was frozen to his sword. There's another translation that his hand cramped and closed to his sword. We don't know which one it was. But basically, the dude killed so many Philistines that his hand was just stuck. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. If you've been, you know, I've been sawing wood one time when I didn't have a chainsaw. And I, when I was done, I just couldn't open my hand. Like my arm and my hand were so sore because I had been doing this for so long. Sawing, sawing, sawing. And you're just like, <laughs> if you sit wrong, your leg falls asleep. I don't know. This guy, he was one of the three. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohi. And next to him, okay, so this is number three, was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. So here's Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite, and he's fighting with everybody, and everybody runs. And he's left alone. And he just stands his ground and just whoops on him. And the Lord works a great victory. Okay, so why is that a big deal? In this day and age, it wasn't how creative you are or what a great invention you have to come up with. It's not how fast you can dig a hole to plant your crops. What's valued in this day is how many people you can kill, how many Philistines you can fight against. I mean, this is kind of like bar fight world, right? So that all sounds savage and it sounds horrible, but read it with the eyes of the culture that was writing it. And this is all really impressive. This is all like, wow, that guy, everybody else, all the other Israelite army guys that were fighting ran off and he just stood there and he's like these philistines don't mean a hill of beans to me because he's in a field of lentils and he just started fighting and killing 
and won, and the Lord worked a victory. So these three guys are super tough, okay? Three of the 30 chief men went down and came to the harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. All right. So this might be the stronghold that he's at. It's not some sort of castle in Hebron, but it's a cave in Adullam. And remember, for years, David was living in caves and running from Saul. David knows how to cave. He knows how to, he knows how to guide an army from a cave. He knows how to do, deal with all the cliffs. This is his natural habitat, right? And so he's there, and those guys come. David's in the stronghold. The garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. No! So the Philistines have come, and they've spread out all over this valley, and they're all in all these towns. And one of the towns they're in is little bitty, weak, defenseless Bethlehem, the home of David. They're in his hometown. So now you're like, okay, whoa, 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 right? Uh, it's like when you, you watch weather on the news and they're talking about tornadoes and they're talking about this or that and they name some city you've been to on vacation and it's like gets hit with a hurricane or you know such and such city is going to be right in the middle of the hurricane. You're all of a sudden like, we stayed there on a vacation. You, you got a connection to it, right? The Philistines, whoa, are in Bethlehem. No! David says longingly, Oh, man. I wish that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that's right there by the gate. So it's not that David wants a drink of water. Okay? There's a couple commentaries I read, and they're like, well, it's harvest time, so there's not much rain, so it's easy to get very thirsty. I'm like, okay, guys, no. This is Bethlehem. This is memories. This is homesickness, right? I would love, I would love to eat a sambusa from this particular bazaar on the north side of the city of this capital. And oh man, to eat it, and it's just like greasy, and it's got potatoes in it, and it's got onions, and the bread is like super crispy. Okay, Cindy could probably make that, right? But when I start thinking about it and talking about it, I want to be there in that place eating it. Okay? I want to eat conch fritters. When I was a kid, we went to the Bahamas. I had conch fritters. They were deep fried. They were so good. If I went to Red Lobster and you served me conch fritters, it would not taste the same. So David says, man, I would love to have a drink of water from the well that's right by the gate in Bethlehem. It's not the taste of the water he wants. It's how much at peace do you have to be? How far gone do the Philistines have to be if you can walk all the way up to the gate in Bethlehem and get a glass of water and drink that, right? Well, the three mighty men are kind of, uh, they kind of do things their own way. <laughs> Sometimes they hear what they want to hear. So when David says, man, I wish somebody would give me a cup of water from Bethlehem, they're like, Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't care if it's crawling with Philistines. Let's go get 
King David a cup of water. The three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, carried it and brought it to David. How many Philistines do you think they killed? Like, you've heard these guys' reputation. Like, they just stand up in a bean field and slaughter a whole bunch of them. That cup of water was costly, right? They break through the camp of the Philistines. They draw water out of the well of Bethlehem by the gate. Oh, and the gate is going to be the most guarded, heavily fortified part of the whole city. Because if you get through the gate, you're in the city. So it's not like they went to the back door and only had to deal with one person. They went to the main section. They bring it back. They brought it to David, but he would not drink it. What? He poured it out to the Lord, and he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These are the things the, mighty, the three mighty men did. So David gets this cup, and he says, I, I can't drink this. I didn't want... I didn't, I would have never asked you guys to really go and get this for me. And he pours it out. And I used to read this like, man, I wonder if those three guys were like, stupid. We just killed. We worked so hard for this. That's not what's going on. What's going on is David is saying, okay, you guys are awesome. I'm going to offer this to the Lord. This is, this is the Lord's because you guys are worth so much. I don't want to make it look like you, your life is worth me getting a glass of water. Your life is worth the Lord. The Lord cares for you. And I would never, ever send you into this. So you know how we're reading this to learn about Jesus, the son of David. Sometimes people get language and they're like, well, the Lord is sending me into this tough situation. I don't know what the Lord's doing with me. I don't know what terrible thing the Lord's working in me, but I'm going to stay faithful and watch what good He brings out of it. We get a little look right here at the character of the Lord. Remember how David, whenever he is really seeking the Lord and doing what the Lord wants, we can see that he is modeling a good king. And a good king would not send three guys in to risk their lives just so he could get a glass of water. If you look at the life of Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he reassured them and he cared for them. He said, you guys don't even have to take an extra coat. You're, it'll be taken care of. You don't even have to take an extra purse with money in it. Because everything you need will be provided. He didn't send them out and say, man, it's going to be tough. You guys might die, but the gospel's worth it. He never said that. The most forceful thing he said, go into all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I commanded you, and I will be with you always until the end of the world. The most forceful command to go to the most places and do the most things is wrapped with His promise that He will be with you. 
So any idea that the Lord is sending me into this thing for my destruction, the Lord is sending me into this, bad things happen, right? Hananiah, Ezra, and Mishael, right? You remember those guys? I'm doing Bible trivia on you guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God didn't say, I'm going to send you guys into the fiery furnace. God said, I want you guys to stand up for me and be right. And the evil, the evil king said, I'm going to send you into the fiery furnace. And Jesus was with them. There was a guy with them in the furnace. The people that threw them into the fire burned up and died, and they were fine. So we can see David says, oh my gosh, you guys, I was just talking. I was just talking about how much I want peace. I was just talking about how much I can't wait to get back to Bethlehem, and I wasn't, wish it wasn't crawling with these uncircumcised Philistines. Right? He's mad. He is not saying, I want you guys to risk your lives to bring me a glass of water. That's not what we're doing. That's the character of our Savior. He longs for things. He says at one point, there's a baptism of fire coming on the world and how I wish it were already kindled. Jesus said that. And James and John are like, oh, okay, you want us to call down fire on the Samaritans? Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm speaking like figuratively speaking. I wish everything was ready. I wish, I wish the kingdom of heaven was fully here and sin was wiped out. I, I don't wish that everything was burned up, you guys. So, with that, let's flip back. Now that we know what happened in that little middle part, David asks, he asks the Lord, inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up. Remember, you got to go back a couple, couple chapters, a couple books. When the priest fled, the priests of Nob and Saul killed all the priests. And that one priest escaped with the ephod. And the ephod is like a, it's like a golden tank top, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And it has gemstones on it, 12 gemstones for all the 12 tribes of Israel. And also on it, they think maybe on the shoulders, it had the Urim and the Thurim, which they're still not really sure what that is. Even the rabbis don't know what it is. But the Urim and the Thurim was a way to ask God a question and flip a coin and you'd get a yes or no. This or that. And so David had that with him in the wilderness and Saul didn't have it. And so David has asked the Lord numerous times different things. And this is another one where the Urim and the Thurim come up. Should we go to battle? And somehow the priest, seriously, and the rabbis don't, modern day rabbis don't know how this worked. So that part wasn't handed down. But they had the, the ephod, it had the 12 stones on it, it had the urim and the thurim, and David says, should I go fight the Philistines? And God says, yes. And he goes. What's wild is whatever that was, gave David so much confidence. He had so much faith 
that the answer from that question was correct, he was going to risk his entire army and all of his men and his life on that answer. So when he asks God, should I do this? And God says, yes, that is enough for him. And he goes and he does it. David came to Baal-perazim. David defeated them there. He said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. They just mashed right through those Philistines and beat them all. Philistines came up again and they spread out in the valley of Rephaim. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, don't go up. Go around the rear and come up against them opposite the balsam trees. All right, so this is a problem. How in the world did you get all that from the Urim and the Thurim? <laughs> we don't know. We have no idea. But there was some way that David was asking God. And the point, how that all worked, I don't want you to get wrapped around the axle on that. The point is, David was inquiring of God. Look at how many times in this section it says, David inquired of God. David inquired of God. He is being a king. This is going to be important later. He's being a king that doesn't do anything without asking God what to do first. And he is really inquiring and he is asking the Lord. And then whatever the Lord says is what he does. And he does it. And so again, Jesus, the son of David, the best king Israel ever had. Here comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. Whatever I see the Father doing, I do. Jesus said that. Jesus was always asking the Father about this, about that, about this thing. And if the Father didn't give him a response about it, he didn't respond to it. He didn't act on it. He only cared about what the Father cared about. And God gave Jesus victories the way God gives David these victories. All right, so listen to this battle. This one's kind of crazy. He says, should I go up against the Philistines? He said, nope, don't go directly against them. Go around the back. And you're going to go to this area where there's all these trees. And you're going to wait by all these trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. So you're going to go to these trees and you're just going to relax. And you're going to get bored. To the point that when you hear the tops of the trees, something's going to go on in the tops of these trees. That's when you rouse yourself. You wake up. Huh, get going. The Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. The Lord's already gone ahead of you to do it. And David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Geba to Gezer. Far. A lot of them. It was a bloodbath. There was a huge victory for David. Remember, through the context of this culture and the time that's written, wow, David did, like he won a million dollars, right? He did the big victory. Here he is. He is the king of Israel. God has anointed him king. We have Jesus 
our risen from the dead king, who is the son of David. Son of David, just like uh, we go, we had a wedding that we went to last weekend, and all these people came up from Shreveport, where David lives, our son, not King David, but our son David. And people walked up to Cindy and they were like, we've never met, but I feel like I know you because I have dinner with your son every Wednesday night. Or people would come up to me and they're my friends and I'm talking to them and they live in Shreveport and they work with David every day and I say something and they say, oh gosh, that is totally a joke that your son tells us. They know who we are. They know who Dan and Cindy Sullivan are because they know our son. Or they know who he is because they've already known us. And so when we know Jesus, if we want to get to know Jesus, we want to know what he's like, we can look at King David when he's following the Lord and seeking after him, and we can be like, that is what Jesus is like. Wow. Jesus doesn't do anything unless he's asking the Father first. Jesus is not trying to get the work done at the expense of the worker. Jesus does not want to accomplish some task like getting a drink of water, even if it means somebody has to die in the process. That's not Jesus. Jesus cares more about us. He cares about the kingdom and he cares about what the Father cares about. So, with that, I will just warn you, oh my goodness, you guys, next week, if you already saw the subheading, it has the Ark of the Covenant in it. And you know that's my favorite thing, so you better fasten your seatbelts. And we're going to go. It does. It fits perfect right into Palm Sunday and Easter. And I haven't looked past Easter, but all of that is really exciting and good too. So we have a lot to look forward to. Let's pray. Lord, you are so holy and awesome and so perfect. And the way that you work salvation for us, the way that you worked salvation for the Israelites through King David and through the three and through your people. Lord, it is, it is awesome. And I pray that you would inspire us this week, that you would help us out, that we would seek you, that we would seek to do your will, that we would seek to bring about salvation your ways, and that we would be able to know about your Son, Lord, and see his life inside of us. We love you and we praise you. Amen.